0: you pray with me? God, it is so good to be together this morning to worship you, to sing praises to your name, and to refocus our minds, our hearts, and our lives on what a good, good God you are, how gracious, how loving, how kind you are to us. God, help our lives to be lived in gratitude and focused on your goodness. Help our lives to just be so focused on that that they're just a worship song every day to you that blends seamlessly from now into eternity with you. We pray this together in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. Yeah, you know, I don't know if you've ever really thought about this. This is a little insight into how warped and twisted my mind is. Uh, yeah. I just don't think Jesus would make a good TV preacher. He wouldn't make a good televangelist. He uh, couldn't dish out the fluff and the positive thinking the way that a lot of them do to build their TV empire. I sometimes wonder if Jesus just had a bad marketing guy when he was here. Because he was brutally honest when he spoke about the challenges that we were up against if we were going to live the life that he was calling us to live. It is not an easy life. That was the bottom line of the message that Jesus spoke. Knowing the challenges we face and the doubts it's going to cause, the questions his followers were going to have, Jesus said this, Don't look for shortcuts to God. The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. Don't fall for that stuff, even though crowds of people do. The way to life, the way to God is vigorous and requires total attention. Well, good morning, everybody. We are in this series where we're taking a look at some of the things that Jesus said that were so shocking, so counter-cultural, so counter-intuitive that sometimes when we read them in the Bible, we are honestly tempted to just skip over them. We're tempted to disregard them. We certainly, at the very least, look at them and go, Jesus can't possibly have really meant what he said there. And we're going to look at one today that I think has to be the clear winner in all of those statements that he made. So let's just dive right into it. It's from Mark chapter 9. And Jesus says... If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. And I'm just going to stop right there. Ten words into the passage. We're just going to stop. I think we need to contextualize this just a little bit. It's pretty shocking already, right? Uh, So we have knives at the back. Uh, Take it home. Do your own personal application. No. I think when we hear the words that Jesus says there, in our Western culture, they probably don't get heard the same way they did in the Middle Eastern culture where Jesus was speaking. In fact, they probably heard them the same way then that they would be heard if they were said there today. If your hand is causing you to stumble, cut it off. Middle Eastern culture was and continues to be much more graphic in handing out consequences for actions. It was that way even in the Old Testament. In fact, there are a lot of people who start investigating a relationship with God and really struggle with the graphic violent nature of the Old Testament. And they just really struggle to have a relationship with God because of it. Here's one example in giving out the law in the Old Testament. God was very, very specific. He said if two people are fighting, just any two people, doesn't matter who, and in the process of that fight, they happen to hit a pregnant woman. And if there's serious injury to the woman or the child that she's carrying, the punishment is you're supposed to take life for life. Eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. You've ever heard that? This is where it came from. Eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. pretty specific, right? And there's not a lot of room for grace in that. Many Middle Eastern cultures today still make use of that kind of mentality and corporal punishment for crimes. Countries we're allied with, not just like ISIS, we hear so much about in the news. Executions are widespread. They're handed out swiftly and brutally. You know, you're caught committing a crime by the police, and they know you're guilty. You're just drugged right out into the street and shot by the police. No trial. And both executions, amputations, you're caught stealing. Literally, they figure out which hand you stole with and cut the hand off. Kind of eliminates stealing with that hand. You steal twice. Makes it a lot tougher to steal. They do that publicly as a deterrent to crime. That's the culture in which Jesus was making this statement. So it's possible this statement wasn't as shocking as it is to us. We think it's really extreme. So let's read on. Let's discover what Jesus' point was with the statement, even if it wasn't shocking to them. Jesus says, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than to go with two hands into hell where the fire never goes out. If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. Right about now, some of you are really nervous going, I picked a great Sunday to invite a friend to church. (laughs) If you're, where is Darren and does he know Greg is teaching on this? If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. This is really awful, isn't it? It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. It's graphic. It's shocking. Jesus' audience is diminishing, as we talked about last week. People are just walking away when he starts teaching like this. Jesus says, if your hand or foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. He didn't offer some intermediary steps first. He didn't say join a support group. He just gets right to the heart of the matter. And let's be honest, even in a culture that was used to brutality, this seems extreme to lose a hand, to lose a foot in Jesus' day. That's a big deal. People walked everywhere they went even when they went long distances. It was only the ultra-rich who had an animal they could rely on for transportation. To lose a foot would dramatically alter your life. It would alter your income. It would alter your mobility. It would do the same for us. I mean, we've progressed with prosthetics and helping people with physical therapy, but still, you lose a foot, you lose a leg, it dramatically changes your life. Jesus, here, is drawing a contrast. He's saying to the people, it is better to lose a part of your body and have the life that God intends and have an eternity that God intends than it is to end up in hell. Now, the word he uses for hell here is Gehenna. It was an actual, physical place. There was this valley outside the city of Jerusalem, Gehenna. It had become the garbage dump, the landfill for the city. And it was a wretched place. People threw anything they didn't want into Gehenna, living or dead. Insert your favorite Monty Python reference here. It was a smelly, nasty place. It was full of maggots. It was... Filled with this smoldering, smoky fire that just never went out, which gave it this rancid smell. Can of have this idea in your mind? You can kind of picture that smell. You want me to keep describing it till you can? No. Yeah. That's the contrast Jesus is drawing. Get that image in your mind. Jesus is saying it would be better to go through life without a hand or a foot or an eye than it would be under any circumstances to end up spending eternity in a place like that. Because we all know, we take steps in our life that lead us to places we never intended to go. We end up in places we never intended to be. We get tripped up. We sin. Jesus said the same thing about our eye. There are certain things that capture our attention in this life. Certain things we look at, we get focused on. And our eyes betray us and cause us to stumble. And While it seems extreme, Jesus said, we have to figure out a way in this life to cut ourselves off from those things that cause us to stumble so we don't end up someplace that we never intended. Go. On the surface, it seems shocking, it seems extreme, but when we really start to think about it, it starts to make sense. Jesus is simply saying our choices have consequences. It's one of those rules that right now, sitting here, we go, yeah. In the moment, though, don't think about it. I love the way one author put it when I was reading this week. He said, you know what? A lot of us in life create storms in our life, and then we get upset when they rain on us. It's true. So let me ask you a question. What are the things in your life that trip you up? What are those things that cause you to stumble? Because my guess is every one of us right now can identify them. We know those things that we could say right now, I can't keep doing that. I can't go there. I can't do that because that eventually takes me someplace I don't want to go. And instead of getting tripped up all the time, i got to figure out a way to cut myself off from that. Shake free from it. And that can be tough. It can be tough to make those sacrifices, but some things in life are worth making sacrifices. In April of 2003, there was a climber, Aaron Ralston, who decided he was going to do some day climbing in one of the most beautiful places on earth. It was Utah's Blue John Canyon. He ended up being trapped when an 800-pound boulder shifted during the climb, and crushed his hand, pinning him against the canyon wall. And if you look at the picture in the upper left-hand corner, that's actually a photograph that he took. It's the worst selfie in the world, because it's him actually pinned in that canyon. Some of you may recognize a little bit of this story, um, because they made a movie about his life called 127 Hours. My guess is not many of you saw the movie. It did horribly in the theaters because it was a really gruesome movie. He was pinned, and over the next five days, he yelled, screamed, did everything he could to try to attract somebody to rescue him, all the while knowing there was nobody. He was 20 miles from the nearest town. He was alone. He thrashed, did everything he could. This was an 800-pound boulder. He pulled out his multi-tool with a knife blade and for days chipped away at that rock, trying to get himself loose. But he eventually realized he was in a really bad predicament. There's no way he's getting loose from this rock. In a sobering moment, he pulled out his phone and began to record a farewell video to his family just to let him know he loved them. He used that multi-tool to carve his name into the canyon wall, and underneath it he wrote three letters. R-I-P. Rest in peace. Because he was certain this was going to be the end of his life. On the 6th Day, his will to live kicked in again. And in a moment of desperation, Aaron realized the only way that he was going to get out alive was he was going to have to amputate his hand. That's why the movie didn't do so well. In order to do that, though, he was first going to have to break both bones in his lower arm. He was a physics major. So he knew he was going to have to use leverage that that rock afforded him. And so he did. He positioned himself and managed to snap both those bones. Then he realized that he had dulled the blade in his multi-tool by chipping away at the rock for five days. And so with a lot of guts and determination, he used that dull knife to sever his arm. But he wasn't free yet. Now he lay in the bottom of the canyon realizing with only one arm he has to climb out. And then once he's out, he has to rappel down 65 feet off the top of the canyon wall and then walk miles before he finally ran into a family who called for help. It's a pretty depressing story, isn't it? Although I've heard if you play it backwards, it's a great story about an amputee who goes into the wilderness, finds an arm, and He was interviewed a year later, and during the interview, he reflected on the incident, and he had some really wise words. He said, my situation was the result of decisions I made. I chose to go out by myself to climb. Not a good decision. I chose not to tell anyone where I was going. I chose not to go with three climbers I met that morning on the way in. They invited me. I said no. I chose. I made mistakes. I miscalculated the risks. Those five days in that canyon, I took responsibility for all the decisions I made. I decided I couldn't play the victim. I wasn't willing to just lay down and die. I recognized that choosing life was going to be a big choice. And with that choice, there was going to be sacrifice. But it was going to change the rest of my life. It was a clear path. And then the re- interviewer asked "The really the oddest question I've ever heard in an interview when he looked at him and he asked Aaron he said when you amputated your arm did it hurt Aaron said this it was a hundred times worse than any pain I have ever felt in fact it recalibrated what I consider to be pain but at the same time it was also the most beautiful thing I've ever felt because I was free And my guess is that if you're hearing the story for the first time, you're thinking what I was thinking when I read that story. Could I do that? Faced with that decision, could I make that decision? Could I cut off my own arm to save my life? I don't know. That's a rough decision. But he had five days to think about it to seriously consider the options, to weigh it out? Would I be willing to give up some functional ability in life to spend the next 20 or 30 years with the person I love the most? To spend the next 20 or 30 years of my life watching my kids grow up, my grandkids? Would I do it to live to see another day? Aaron summed up his experience with this insight. He said, it struck me. That in our last hours, even though we may have moved away from those things, there is a level-headed understanding of what's really important in life. Bottom line, he said, it's just an arm. Losing an arm is a big deal. But in the perspective of life and death, it's just an arm. I think that's what Jesus is trying to get at in Mark. 9 he wants us to see what's important now not just in our last hours not when we're waiting to take our last breath to see beyond the lies we can tell ourselves because we're good at that (laughs) jesus it's not that bad really jesus i'm not that bad i can handle it i won't let it happen again We try to sugarcoat it. Jesus is really blunt about the stuff that's inside of us that causes us to stumble. He says it's the stuff inside of us that pollutes us, that's deep inside of us, that causes us to stumble. He says it's obscenities, lust, theft, murder, adultery, greed, depravity, deceptive dealings, carousing, mean looks, slander, arrogance, foolishness. And then he says this, all these things are vomit from the heart. That's the source of our pollution. Not a lot of sugarcoating on that. Now, I don't think any one of us struggles with everything that's on that list. That'd be a pretty rough life. But my guess is that every one of us struggles with at least one thing on that list. And we don't start our day off intending to sin, intending to stumble. We start off our days innocent enough But we often end up somewhere we didn't intend to go. And we often don't see the connection in our decisions. So we find it hard to feel like we're responsible. And so we find it hard to cut ourselves off from the things that make us stumble. Can I give you an example? Hmm. I'm going to pick on an easy one. It's not the worst one. It's just an easy one. Many of us are on Facebook. In fact... A billion people a day get on Facebook. That's more people. There's over a billion people a day do it. And they spend about 20 minutes a day on average. That's more people than there are in China. Just put that in perspective. Is Facebook an inherently evil thing? Yes, some of you think it is. It's not. It's just a piece of technology. Okay? We get on Facebook for lots of reasons. Some people get on it for business reasons. Some people get on it, most of us do, to connect with friends. We get on it uh, to play games. Some of you get on it to watch cat videos, which I think makes it inherently evil. (laughs) When we get on it, we find ourselves at times stumbling into things that create incredible damage. We post something. We see something that's posted. And we respond. It triggers something inside of us. And we respond. We feel like we have to respond. And we struggle into that stuff in Mark 7 that Jesus called that vomit. We get into slander or arrogance or foolishness. And it's easy because it's online and it has this perceived face Safety that gives us that freedom to make comments that most of us would never say to somebody to their face. And this toxic venom starts to flow, whether it's against a person or a group of people. We treat people and groups of people that we never would face to face and certainly in ways that Jesus never would. Here's the one that troubles me even more. There are others, I don't know anybody at at Westridge that this is true of, so I'm not talking to anybody specifically, who feel like it's a safe, good idea to connect with an old flame on Facebook. No harm in that, right? I mean, they're hundreds of miles away, what could possibly come of that? Don't raise your hand. How many of you in the room think you'd have a problem with your spouse connecting with an old flame on Facebook? I saw some looks. You'd be smart to pay attention to that look if it just came in your peripheral vision. I read a recent study this week that said one in five divorce filings in the United States cite Facebook as both evidence that their spouse is having an affair and the reason the affair got started. 20%. I'm just using that as an example. I'm not saying Facebook is evil. I'm just saying it's an easy example to pick on. What is it for you? And if that's it for you, cut it off. We lived before Facebook was invented. Maybe better. It would be better to walk into heaven without Facebook, than it would be to lose a friend, to lose a family, to lose a marriage. Jesus' words were a stern warning to us about the high price of getting trapped in a sin. And while sometimes we shrink back from harsh words, truth, Jesus faced it straight on and said, look, we are not victims We make choices and we are responsible for our choices. Jesus says whatever tempts us to be untrue to God has to be discarded promptly, decisively, the same way that a surgeon amputates an arm or a leg in order to save a life. We're not playing games here. Some of us need radical surgery this morning. We need to take radical steps Because slander and arrogance and foolishness and lust and greed, those things that Jesus listed, have crept into our lives, into our hearts, in everyday little insidious ways. And we keep stumbling into them. And that surgery to remove them can be painful. But the life and the freedom that Jesus offers us on the other side of that surgery is the most beautiful experience. It is the most beautiful feeling you've ever had. It is the amazing life that Jesus died to offer us here and in eternity. And what's clear about human nature is that we can't do that surgery on our own. We So I've adapted the words of James 4. James was Jesus' brother. Seems like heart and truth ran in the family. I've adapted those words into a prayer that I hope will help us on that journey. I want to ask you, as we wrap up the message, to join me in praying these words this morning and praying them every day this week. Just inviting God to help us do that radical surgery. And my hope is that this discipline, this simple prayer, will give us the courage to find those places in our life, to cut them off and walk more closely with Him. Let's pray these words together. God, today, I invite you into my life to guide me, shape me. Help me to say no when I'm tempted today and to watch temptation disappear. Help me say yes to you, God, with a confidence you'll be there for me. I want to stop stumbling into sin. Purify my heart and mind. Help me to stop playing the field. Make me hit bottom. Bring me to tears if that's what it takes. I am serious, really serious about following you. God, I offer you this humble